Okay, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen, wa la'aqibatu lil-mutaqeen, wa la'idwana illa ala al-zalimeen. Wa salawatullahi wa salamuhu ala ashraf al-anbiya'i wal-mursaleen, Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Allahumma la sahla illa ma ja'altahu sahla, wa anta tajlul hazna idha shayta sahla. Allahumma a'inna ala dhikrika wa shukrika wa husna ibadatik. Ya Rabbil Kareem. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh everybody. Right, so... Um, with respect to today's lesson, got a bit late, that isn't it? Right. So, I want to finish off. Finish off. Yeah, and it maybe. It's a lot. Maybe not. Um, I want to finish off this issue concerning the um, the uh, notifying folks in the prayer and. Uh, to do with spitting, right? So, where are we? Ewa. So today, وَإِذَا نَابَهُ شَيْءٌ سَبَّحَ رَجُلٌ وَصَفَّقَتْ إِمْرَأَةٌ بِبَطْنِكَ فِيهَا عَلَى ظَهْرِ الْأُخْرَى وَيَبْسُقُ فِي الصَّلَاءِ عَنْ يَسَارِهِ وَفِي الْمَسْجِدِ فِي ثَوْبِهِ Can I sit? Come down. So, uh, yeah, if one needs to bring attention to something, males are to say subhanallah, whilst women are to clap their hands using the inner palm of one hand and the outside of the other. One is allowed to spit to his left side or into his cloth if in the mosque. Okay, and uh, so we were, we were chatting about this and I think yani, we got to the section concerning uh, the lady. So we said subhanallah. And the man, or the, the man says, Subhanallah, and the lady, she'll say, uh, or she'll clap her hands. And um, I think we discussed it quite a bit, isn't it? Yeah, how what she says when she's on her own and stuff, yeah? So, where we're at right now is just a few things. The first one is, if someone says, and this is at the top of two, uh, 265, if someone says, why is it that uh, the tasbih, has been uh, chosen, as opposed to anything else from any other dhikr. Why does a man say subhanallah, subhanallah, when the uh, imam makes a mistake or there's some kind of problem? Um, and the answer is, is that if there's some deficiency or some kind of problem, a deficiency or a problem, then deficiency, problem, forgetfulness, all deficiencies, but all, all forms of deficiency, then the form is tasbih to free Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, to free Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala of association. Remember what we said before that subhanallah is a very detailed kind of statement. Everyone, even though we say it, it kind of all, all glory to Allah or all praise be Allah. Yeah, but in actual fact, the meaning of tasbih of, of subhanallah is, is, and it comes from the verb of sabbaha, yani to swim. And the idea is uh, floating and distance. That's what the Arabic kind of verb, that's its connotation. Floating, movement, distance. And so if you think about uh, as Allah says in Surah Yasin, is it? Yeah, that the, the orbit, uh, the, 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 the moon and the sun are floating in their orbit. And when you say that, same kind of uh, uh, concept, the idea is that huge distances and they're floating, yani, you know, miles and miles away. So the idea of tasbih is likewise the distancing of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, which is why we have this concept of the transcendency of Allah. 
So Subhan Rabbikal A'la. Yani this concept that Allah Subhanahu wa Taala is far and away removed from the ignorance of people. That's why they said, they said, Dakhad Allahu Walada. They said Allah took a son. Subhanak. Subhanak. Yani may you be far removed, transcendent you are. May you you are far far removed from the idiocy and the stupidity of people. Yeah. So that's what Subhanallah is basically saying. That at that moment, that this is a person who's leading the prayer, who has made a mistake, but Allah is perfect, right? Or something. So, which is similar to how you'd say it in normal life as well. You see someone, you know, saying something stupid, you say Subhanallah. What a stupid thing to say. You know what I mean? What an insult, you know, to humanity, creation, that you just said that statement. What an insult to Allah who created you. So that's the the, the idea. يعني الذي هو تنزيه الله عن كل نقص. When we say Subhanallah. We are freeing him and, and make, making him innocent and free of any deficiency. So that's the reason why it's chosen, which is nice. Nice point. Um, now on the issue of the clap of the hands. Yes. Um, Bring up the comments, Lala. Yeah. How do you compare that then to praying? Let's talk about it. The prayer at the end, you know, you say about three times. So I think the, the difference with Astaghfirullah. So the question is, is that, so how is, if that's the case, then why is it that we have Astaghfirullah at the end of the prayer? Which is a good point, right? I'd say two, two points. Number one, um, the actual, there's three points actually I'll say. Number one, there is a discussion amongst the scholars even how astaghfirullah is even said and whether it is meant to be said, okay? And how it's to be said and when it's to be said. So with that amount of doubt, it's difficult to do a direct comparison. But we're going to assume, for the sake of argument, that it is said like we do it, which is what we believe, which is when a person prays and they finish, then it's one of the first things that you say, Astaghfirullah, Astaghfirullah, Astaghfirullah. So, uh, but that's point one. But well, let's assume, though, that it is that. Then, if we assume so, number two, then this is for the personal. It's something which is individual. This is not something which is referring to the prayer or the representation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or the masses and so on and so forth. If you are praying yourself you, and you made a mistake, no one's going to say subhanAllah to you, right? And you're going to fix it yourself by saying astaghfirullah regardless. And this astaghfirullah is also not linked to a mistake or something, yani, you know, someone forgetting something or whatever. This is my third point. Astaghfirullah is a general kind of insurance policy almost. The truth is, is that you're going to be needing it all the time because your prayer is always deficient, which is kind of covered it's almost like the human level deficiency as opposed to you doing a mistake. Because if you were to do a mistake, you also have to increase your subhanallah because you'll do sajda sahu, which will increase six times subhan rabbi al-a'la if you make an actual mistake like you were leading. So I think that would, yeah, that's what comes to my mind, Allah alam. Now, the issue is um, uh, the clapping. It's strange, that whole idea, right? This to be one hand on top of the other. But that's what the scholars have uh, specified. But is this what is the actual sunnah? We don't have a detailed explanation of whether it's like this, like this, or like this. These are the three ways. The, the outside on the outside, the inside on the outside, and the inside upon the inside. The point is, is that it's all acceptable. All of these are acceptable, Sheikh Uthameen says, because it's the, uh, uh, the intention behind it. The issue is, is flexible. Uh, yeah. So why do you think it's strange? It's the most least movement of a woman when she's in uh, a circle. 
Right. So, yeah, I mean, the point is, is that, you know, there's no, there's, yeah, sure. Good. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a good point. Maybe that is why the scholars kind of settled on that. Because uh, as far as I know, and certainly in the books of fiqh, there is no actual evidence that we saw Um Salama or we saw Aisha yani do this or do this. So the scholars have, as Shazad just said, it's just a common sense. The hands are there and it's just, you know, minimal. Uh, it's just obviously, you know, it's a minimal kind of movement, right? It's just there. So uh, while, your, while your left hand is there in position and your right hand's on it, just uh, the, the, the indication of sound. Now, uh, that's fine. Now, if they don't hear, if the imam doesn't clock on, so she's yani, clapping away, my guy's giving it subhanallah, okay? And no one's yani, working out, what happens? What do you do? Some of the scholars, they said that it's allowed for you to say the minimum words to fix the situation, okay? Uh, here, Sheikh Uthameen gives an example, irqa, okay? Or ajlis, or qum, yani, uh, go into ruqwa, sit down, uh, stand up. So that is yani, allowed. The question is, is that if that happens, someone should do that, is the prayer invalidated or not? Normally, we know that there's no doubt about it. In a normal situation, it's not allowed to speak in the, in the prayer. So, but, but what about in this scenario? There is a kind of a need, right? You tried to do the first thing, it didn't work. So now we're trying a second thing to try and fix the prayer before it, goes, it becomes even worse. So the first group, yes. So this would be both men and women, okay? Just, uh, uh, this, well, I haven't come to the hierarchy of what happens because the hierarchy would be tasbih and then a sound and then speaking. Just to, uh, uh, it's on the next page, but I'll just say it for the time being. And then clapping and the sound and then speaking. So the question now is just to do with speaking. What, in this scenario, where does a need, would it invalidate the prayer? Some of the scholars said, no, it will not. Uh, invalidate the prayer because this speaking is for the benefit of the prayer itself. It's actually for the maslaha of the salah. It's to actually fix the prayer itself. And it's not what they call normal speech. Right? So what that means is that what, 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 that, what that basically means is that when you speak to another, you have complete sentences and you have an intention of the conversation, whatever. So if you say to someone, stand up or get down or uh, again or stop or whatever, it's not intended to be like a two-way kind of conversation or proper speech, okay? So the only intention is to fix the prayer. What's the evidence, interesting evidence that they have for that, that it doesn't invalidate the prayer? It's the hadith which I mentioned last time in which the Prophet ﷺ himself made a mistake in the prayer and he uh, uh, reduced the prayer, okay? Actually, in this narration, in this narration, it doesn't mention whether he, whether he actually increased or decreased the rakat. But anyway, this is the hadith of Dhul Yadain. This hadith of Dhul Yadain is the, actual, is the famous one. So what happens? Remember I told you that the Prophet ﷺ finished the prayer and then he was stressed and he stood up. So he stands up and obviously everyone's looking at him and he's kind of like, you know, he's disturbed basically. And you can see he's not right. And he's like, and then there was one companion sitting there, you know, he's got obviously something about him. And he goes, well, so what happened? He literally says to the Prophet, yeah, is it, are we, what, are we, uh, did you forget something? Did you, 
has it changed? Is it ruling? Uh, are we doing qasr? You know, he starts asking the Prophet uh, uh, And then he, he, وسلم, then turns to Abu Bakr al-Siddiq and the rest of the companions in general, but really kind of, you know, he's going to his right-hand man. He says, Is it as he's saying? Is it, uh, is it uh, true that because Dhul Yadain, because the Prophet ﷺ indicated no, no, nothing had happened, then Dhul Yadain says, if, no one, if nothing new has happened, like this, there's nothing that's come from Allah that I don't know about, then you definitely forgot. And he said, Qad nasita, yani, You have definitely left out a rak'ah if yani, you're not saying that the prayers changed. Yeah? So the Prophet ﷺ said, is it, what, what he's, is it like he's saying that I've definitely forgotten? Abu Bakr Siddiq said yes. So when he said that, then he went straight back in this hadith and he said, Allahu Akbar, prayed one more and then he did the sajda sahu and that's it. What's the evidence of this hadith? Remember, this is the evidence that's being used for those people who are saying that it's allowed to speak and it's not breaking the prayer. What's the evidence? That's the hadith, but what's the evidence? What's the istidlal? What's the point of evidence? No. No, what's that? Uh, I need more. It's just clearly simple. Think about it. Okay, but he's not in prayer though, is he? Why is it, why is this used as the evidence? Where is the evidence? I don't see the evidence. Okay, but, but, but we're talking about does the prayer get invalidated if someone speaks in the prayer in a situation? So I'm, I'm saying, okay, I just explained that, but this happened, you know, when they got up and stuff, yeah? Yes or no? Well done. Correct. Okay. Who said that the prayer is over? The prayer is not over. They're still in the prayer. You see, um, you know when we have this discussion about, uh, uh, you know, if I make a mistake and that I forgot to do sajda sahu, how long have I got to do sajda sahu? You know, this whole kind of discussion. And you'll never be able to find a scholar that will say to you, you got five minutes or you got ten got or ten meters. Yeah. Or, you know. And whenever I answer this question here, I always say that if you're getting to the shoe area, then that's a problem. If 10 minutes go by, that's a problem. Because, because the prayer, if you make a mistake by taking something out or adding something, is still ongoing because it needs to be completed. And that kind of ongoing nature of the prayer has like a time zone-ish and has a time location place-ish. And once you kind of seem so far removed from it, either by time or by space, then the prayer is gone and it's cancelled, invalidated, and you've got to start again. But if things are happening there and then nice and smooth, which is, for example, you know, we pray here now and then, you know, we're sitting there making dhikr and let's say one minute goes by and everybody's thinking, you know, what was going on. And then someone normally has got the guts and say, you know, Sheikh, I think something happened there. And then another person says, yeah, I think, yeah. It takes two, three minutes, a little investigation. And then Sheikh just stands up and does the extra rakah, or he goes to the sahu straight away. Why? 
that's still the prayer. Because if it wasn't the prayer, you wouldn't be able to just, just do randomly just jump in. You'd have to start again. You get what I'm saying? And that's also, by the way, just so that you know, it's also the reason why you make sajda sahu in the most of the time after the taslim, which we're going to come to later. And that is because you've added so much stuff to the prayer. And in basic, it, it, the basic rule is, is that when you add to the prayer, when you make addition to the structure of the prayer in any kind of way, whether it's movements or extra takbirs or extra yani, whatever, you're going to end up doing the sajda sahu after the, uh, uh, the, uh, the, the takbir of sajda sahu after you give one taslim. But I'll go into more detail about that later in, in the right section. So that's their evidence. All right. The second position is that no, speaking in the prayer is going to invalidate the prayer. And that is because the Prophet ﷺ said, in the Hadith Salah, okay? this prayer does not, yani, uh, it's not befitting of the prayer to have the speech of people. And when the Prophet ﷺ, that's the first point, clear statement of the clear hadith. Second evidence, the Prophet ﷺ, when he uh, told the people, if there's a mistake, say tasbih or clap your hands, he could have said, say whatever, right? Or not this elaborate kind of, you know, which frankly is very easy to misunderstand. You know, subhanAllah, I mean, that's a lot of people saying that anyway in their prayer, isn't it? Yani as part of making tasbih, you know that it's a sunnah that the Prophet when he would say, Sabbihisma rabbikal a'la, which is a command, by the way, Sabbihisma rabbikal a'la means make tasbih of, say subhanAllah, of your Lord the High. When you hear that, you should say subhanAllah, right? So that was a sunnah. Anyway, so people are saying this kind of subhanallah, istighfar, yani, uh, all the time. Uh, and then the clapping of the hands, I mean, you know, people coughing, this, that, you're going to miss that. So there's a clear focus to not speak from the evidences. So these two positions are strong, right? Uh, so go on. If, um, you're saying that basically the prayer hasn't finished, that's the point, yeah? That's that point of the first group. Okay, that, that said, therefore, it's allowed for a reason to speak like they spoke. Yeah. Because the prayer is not finished. He can he can make salam and think that the prayer has ended. Yeah. Intention is but but that's the same as saying if you think about it that is the, the point that Shazad's making is that one of the conditions of the prayer is the continual of the intention. Yeah, we covered this, yeah. And so the second that you make the intention I am not praying, right? Your prayer is over. Or if you make the intention, I finish the prayer, the prayer is finished. Okay? But that's the same way as, for example, in doing, adding another uh, ruku'ah. Yeah? Let's say that you did, you went for ruku'ah. Samiya Allah wa al-Muhammad rabbana wa al-Kalhamd. Allahu Akbar, you went back into ruku'ah. Yeah? And then Samiya Allah wa al-Muhammad rabbana wa al-Kalhamd. Allahu Akbar, you went to sajda. Yeah? Is it permissible to add a ruku'ah? Uh, uh, yeah, add a, 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 another ruku'ah. No, no, but is it permissible to do that? When that happens, what happens automatically? No, you've invalidated the prayer. You've, you've destroyed the prayer. But because it's in the prayer and it was a mistake, because it's part of the whole prayer process and because we have hadith that allow the exception to the rule of the intention of a person to end the prayer and the fact that the sajda sahu is there, that almost, yani, uh, fixes 
the, what you're saying, which is the actual end of the prayer. If you think about it, my explanation is me trying to explain it, but the evidence is even clearer. The statement of the Prophet ﷺ is very clear. If the prayer has ended, how is it possible that the Prophet ﷺ only prays one rak'ah? There's no one rak'ah prayer. It is important because that's the reason he's asking the question. The intention has to be maintained is important. What I'm saying is that there's an exception to the basic rule of the... The intention is to finish the prayer, which you thought you did, that you didn't. So, that, so, 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 so it's not that the intention is now not important. It's that this is an exception, exception to your intention. How other way is it to understand it? What did the Prophet do? That's, that's why... Uh, uh, that's why there's a consensus as far as I know that even though he intended to finish the prayer, it didn't uh, finish the prayer. Because if it did, he wouldn't be allowed to just do some random one minute, one ruku'ah, for example, or one tashahud, or one uh, or whatever, whatever it takes. Sometimes you won't even need to do anything, by the way. Remember that he could have, for, for example, just forgotten sajda sahu. So let's say he made the mistake in the prayer, and he fixed the mistake in the prayer and then he gave salam and turned around and someone says to him, hey, you forgot to say the sahum. I said, oh, now if he turns around, what does he do? Does he stand up? No, he just goes straight into sajda sahum. So even then the prayer is not finished. So basically it's like, yeah, like uh, Rahil says, the act of forgetfulness takes precedence over the, in, uh, the, the, the intention. It doesn't make it less important, but rather it's like, a, uh, uh, like an exception to the rule. Um, if a person realizes he's made a mistake and then tends not to continue his prayer, then this is when the prayer is invalid. Yeah, that's good always, yeah. That's right. Um, so, now the thing is, is that the Sheikh then says, so Sheikh says that um, this is a very strong uh, evidence this idea that that uh, you're not allowed to speak in the prayer and the idea if the prophet isn't allowed to speak then why would he and he put this elaborate kind of system he would just allow it to happen and that is it so the uh once he decided not to allow speaking it made it very clear that it's not permissible to speak sheikh uthameen says this is a very strong evidence and this is the the one that we should go with uh uh, but he goes, we have to give some kind of response to the first uh, group because they've also got a strong evidence. So how do we respond to them? He goes, the answer to them is that the Prophet ﷺ, when he actually spoke, and he was the one who started speaking, by the way, right? First, when he actually spoke after the, that kind of mistake, uh, well, you know, yeah, you see, you see, you see, the problem is, is that from the ver from all of the 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 variety from all of the variations of the different narrations that I've seen, this incident has a lot of detail, right? Not one hadith brings. It's a proper jigsaw puzzle. I remember studying it, yeah, back in the day. Um, so and it would be nice of life if I had uh, Mughni with me uh, now. But the uh, for example, him standing up. There is some indication that there was some kind of, uh, 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 kind of, you know, as we say, shorzwag yani in our language. Yeah, he no, he's not skin at all, man. The guy smashed it, man. Okay. 
Yeah, no, he, he said the exact right, that's what I'm saying, he's an amazing uh, companion to be honest, because he said exactly, you know, what you needed to say. Has something else happened? Yani, has it changed? I mean, you got some wahi. So this statement I'm talking about, there's a number of variations of this statement, which kind of indicate that maybe the Prophet ﷺ, yani, uh, showed some uncertainty, and then, the, 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 like, you know, it's almost like when a person's unsure, then the companion kind of takes over and says, well, okay, well, let me put it this way. Ha did this happen or did this happen? Then the Prophet ﷺ said, no, it hasn't been shortened, and I haven't, whatever. Then, okay, well, then you've definitely forgotten. So it's not clear who initiates the conversation. Abu Bakr has a one-two in there as well. So it's a proper thing that happens. So that's, that's why I said the Prophet Sallallahu um, or, or, or it's very clear that Dhul Yadain started speaking first, but it doesn't matter because the Prophet Sallallahu definitely spoke. So Shaykh Uthameen says that when the Prophet Sallallahu spoke, he did not know that he was in the prayer. Back to what Shazad is saying. Okay? He did not know that he was in the prayer. As far as he's concerned, he's finished the prayer. So why would he not speak? Why would he not have a conversation? Okay? So it was only afterwards that he realized, uh, he actually said, I did not forget and I didn't uh, uh, shorten the prayer. Yeah, I need to pray a traveler's prayer. And then uh, they then, they, the, the companion said, Sadaqazuliyadain. Yeah, and he spoke the truth, the Liyadain is speaking the truth. Um, then straight after that, he didn't say a single word. He didn't yeah, and he say, okay, I will, yes, all right, let's pray. You know, he didn't say anything. That's also very telling. It's like, oh, so he's then gone straight into the uh, Allahu Akbar and they then prayed. So he goes that, uh, so that's the difference between a person who knows yani, that he's in the prayer and he's speaking and a person who's not even sure if he's in the prayer or not and he's speaking. So there basically, this party is saying that the evidence of the first group is not valid because actually he didn't realize that he was speaking. All right. So that's his answer. Then Sheikh says, well, you know what it is? Uh, uh, he goes, he makes an interesting point. He goes, but then we can also still argue. He doesn't want to let this point go. He goes, we can also still argue though that um, if we were to go with the position that, you know, talking or speaking invalidates the prayer, this could get all weird. He goes, imagine a person who's not hearing. He's not hearing this, right? Because we're not allowed to speak. So we carry on along our whole line of saying, subhanAllah, subhanAllah, subhanAllah. He goes, the prayer will become a circus. He goes, the prayer will become a circus. The Imam is going up and he's saying, subhanAllah. The Imam is sitting down and saying, subhanAllah. Yani, what he's giving an example of someone who's getting confused, the Imam getting confused. Yeah? I've been in one of prayers, prayers like that. Okay? I can't remember where. But it, it turned into a whole yani, game show. Yeah, and people were saying, subhanAllah, subhanAllah. He didn't know what was going on. He stood up, he sat down, stood up, he sat down. I've been literally in one of those prayers. And Bachata, he didn't know what was going on. So, ironically, I think I was in that prayer. And I think, uh, yeah, yeah, I was in that prayer. And I was, and I did speak. I spoke with the tasbih of the position that he should be in. So, I think he was, he, after he's done all of this, he's gone up and down, gone up and down. I said to him, whilst we're sitting down, I'm just giving an example because I can't remember what it was. Yeah? And he then realized I should have been standing and I forgot for example. So he stood up, he said and then he went into uh, whatever and then afterwards he said 
So Akshul Sheikh Rasamin says is very, very thingy. And as someone who leads the prayer or has led the prayer, you know, once your mind goes, you go, that's it, it's all finished. Your mind goes blank, like blank, blankety, blank, blank. I remember once I was leading Jum'ah prayer, oh my God, in Good Maze, 2001 maybe, two, something like that. And uh, that's it. I was in the first rak'ah uh, and completely my mind went. I didn't know what, what, what the Quran was, I didn't know what Fatiha was, I didn't know what thing was. I was gone, gone. I was, re- re- I was in the middle of Sabah Ismarabika al-A'la. I went a couple of verses in and bam. I didn't know where I was standing, I was praying, what was going on? People telling me, Brian, all telling me different verses from the uh, Allah. I didn't know what was going on, I didn't know what they were saying, what language they were speaking. Yeah, <laughs> I was gone. So I went just Allahu Akbar, that's one time. Straight out, emergency exit. So, you know, it, it does happen. So anyway, so Sheikh says, what happens then? He goes, so, someone's got to be, yani, uh, uh, someone's got to speak and take control. So Sheikh says, so yeah, maybe we can say that in this madness kind of situation, we'll basically say, okay, um, we'll say, we'll read that in a second. He said that if there is a definite uh, uh, need for the, for the munabbih, the one who's bringing attention to things, to speak, then uh, that's okay. But l- l- let's, let's see. Take it down to the bottom, uh, Shaz. Uh, yeah, go on. So there's, like I said, Sumer asked, is the Prophet ﷺ did Taslim then prayed only one extra rak'ah? There are, this actually, as I said, this incident has some kind of controversy, okay? It meaning that it does have different variations as well. And there's some tarjihad and so on amongst the scholars, okay? Um, go on, go up a little bit. So the Prophet ﷺ led us in the Asr or the Dhuhr prayer. You see, even there, straight away in this riwayah, Okay, there's uncertainty over the prayer itself. This is just one. And like I said, I've seen so many of these hadith that have this. Um, uh, anyway, finished it with Taslim. Dhul Yadain said to him, and that's two uh, Taslim, by the way. The Prophet ﷺ did not do it with one. As far as we know, the asl is two Taslim. He had finished the prayer. Oh, Allah's Messenger, has the prayer been reduced? And the Prophet ﷺ asked his companions in the affirmative. So Allah's Messenger uh, ﷺ offered two more raka'ah and then performed two prostrations of Sahu. Sa'ad said, I saw that Urwa ibn al-Zubair had offered two raka'ah in the Maghrib prayer and finished with taslim and then talked. He completed the rest of his prayer and performed two prostrations and said that the Prophet ﷺ did this. Now in this narration, he missed two raka'ah completely. In another narration, it was one raka'ah. In another narration, no raka'ah, added one raka'ah. Okay? So, um, you study this when you study Sajda Sahu. Okay? Because in the Sajda Sahu, I mean, I don't want to be doing this all now, but basically just to finish this issue off here, the big discussion is, is not even how many rak'ah did the Prophet ﷺ pray, what kind of mistakes allow Sajda Sahu, and what is the prayer gone completely, number one. Number two, when is it that the t- certain type of mistake means you make the Sajda Sahu before the Taslim, before you say Salaam Alaikum Rahmatullah, and what category of mistake means that you make the Sajda Sahu after and to try and answer that, what the scholars did is that they gathered every single hadith that mentions a mistake of the Prophet And if you do that, and you gather the hadith, it makes it look like he made a hundred mistakes. Whereas in our belief, or certainly in my belief, I only think that he made a mistake maybe two or three times in his life. 
right? But there's a hundred hadith, hundred narrations, all giving different variations. And when you go deep, deep, proper to the next level of scholarship, what the top level scholars are saying is that in actual fact, these hundred reduced down to two or three, but different interpretations and understandings and yani, recall of the same incident. So there's a lot of human error there, and that's the job of the scholars then to go through it. What do they first do? They get rid of those that are weak, which are straight out from the Senate. Then the difficult job. When they've made it all hadith authentic, then it's trying to find which one is contradicting one which is more authentic. Then they take those out as shad. Then you've got the only authentic ones left. And then you're trying to understand what is it that was human error, yani based upon perception or could have been understood in the wrong way. So, uh, uh, yeah. Anyway, so there's another thing which is, uh, let's, uh, so therefore, it is conclusive and agreed that one can speak if a mistake. So therefore, it is conclusive and agreed that one can speak if he mistakenly does the steam raka'a early. Also, in this hadith, when SW, Sallallahu All right. What is that, man? That's like Abdul Ghafar, isn't it? This is a disaster way. When a Nabi got back up, did he do takbir that is done at the start of the prayer or just a takbir to move positions? So this is not the starting of the prayer. The takbir is to move the position because you're still in the prayer. All right, but anyway, we'll come to that later. Uh, I, can't, I don't have any uh, uh, access to share the hadith at the moment, uh, Sumaira. So um, the Sheikh then says, if, uh, so look at this, yeah? So he's still kind of struggling with the idea. He knows that we've got to allow someone to speak in the prayer to fix the situation, right? So you can see that he wants to do it. So now check this one out. This is a classic. He goes, if this person does speak for the sake of fixing the prayer, because it's still a mess and everyone's going up and down, it's the right circus. He goes that you saved everybody else, but you ruined your own prayer. He goes, basically, you're a martyr. You take one for the team. He goes, it's a good thing. He goes, the precedence of the jama'ah is always over the individual. And you do it. Yani, man's got to step up, fix it. Yani, for everybody, day one ever. But you spoke. And so your, uh, uh, yani, your, your prayer is done. So this is what Sheikh Uthameen, his decision is. Now, I have to say that the class position is, is that if you speak minimum, in this space to just yani, clarify after it's failed, then in my opinion, the prayer is valid and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. But just so that you know, Sheikh Uthameen is saying that if you do speak, I find evidence is too strong. And it, to be fair, they are very strong. The Prophet did not allow speaking, didn't give it uh, uh, an option, made it very clear not to do it. And actually, to be honest, you should never think of speaking. And there are different kind of options to, to, to get there, but still. Uh, uh, he's basically saying that the prayer is uh, gone and you've basically taken one for the team, which is quite noble. I like that idea. Yeah, you know, but uh, no, never. Uh, but, even, but, but, but even if it did happen, right, the guy wouldn't leave the prayer. Let's make that clear, right? Similar to the fast. So if someone does from the kabair or breaks the fast or yani, intentionally or whatever, it is not permissible to eat, right? You have to carry on fasting that day and then make up that day afterwards, right? Now, that's because there's a legal issue as well as a kind of confidence taking the mickey kind of uh, chaos issue as well. 
So if you did that and you knew about the mas'ala and you were trying to be on the safe side, then it's a noble thing to do. Not only because you fixed the problem, you stood up when it counted, but also you knew that really you shouldn't have done that. But it forced it. And so I'll, I'll take one for the team, I'll pray. But you don't be like a hero and walk off and then, you know what I mean? You kind of just quietly, just, you know, finish the prayer, then go to the back and then you knock out your prayer again. Effectively, if you follow this position, which I think is a safe position. But Allah knows best, yeah. Would you not restart the prayer? So would you not... Um... He would, yeah. Why would they? No, but would you not, instead of praying again at the back, would you not just... Um, uh, there and then? I think, no, continue the prayer. Yeah. Make up the extra bagger. Yeah, imagine you're standing at the front. What kind of hero do you look like, Yanni? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Everyone's all finished and you Yanni, on your own stand up. Everyone's thinking, what, what happened there? What was Lala doing? Did he break the in the prayer and fix it again? That's a madness. Huh? Yes. Yes. Yep. Yep. And nobody says anything. Yep. But the Imam doesn't know that there's been a mistake. Yeah. Then what happens? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. The answer is I don't know. Because Harris also asked the next question. I mean, you know, there's some space there if you're speaking in English, uh, in Arabic, right? Qum, yani sabbih, or whatever. You know what I mean? They're adhkar, aren't they almost? Or it's the or it's Fusha Arabic language. You might find like, a little blag yani somewhere. But if man's is saying, yani, you know, no, 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 go back to third or something. That's proper English, proper chatting, isn't it? I find it difficult. I have to say, this is a difficult mas'ala. It's not a clear position to choose. There's no yani, easy tarjih. You go with the madhab, yani, whatever, and we say, alhamdulillah, we have madhab, yani, we just relegate yani, the situation to. Good luck to them. So I think, as I said, I think it's uh, either way you go, there's a good explanation for both positions. You're either the prayer is not invalidated, you're speaking only because it's absolutely necessary, and it is what it is, or, you know, you take control, you say what you got to say, and whatever. Or you're a genius like myself, and you, you know, you fix it like I did. Well, obviously, that's, that's rare, isn't it? We can't yeah, keep training more people like that. I mean, I don't know. So listen, um, next question is, is it possible to make yeah, any, uh, a sound other than tasbih? The answer is yes. It's permissible, especially by saying, um, <clears throat> okay, <clears throat> this is called nahnaha in, uh, in uh, Arabic, yeah? So when you go... <clears throat> then, you know, it's indicating that something's wrong. So this is something which Ali ibn Abi Talib, radiallahu an, you know, he used to enter uh, the house and check on the Prophet sallallahu twice a day, once in the daytime, once at nighttime, like a regular check. Yeah, see how uh, the Prophet sallallahu is. And one of the times he came in and the Prophet sallallahu Yeah, and he indicated that he was praying. So like, come in, chill, relax, but I'm praying. Okay, this hadith is narrated by Imam Ahmed and by Imam, uh, by Imam al-Nasai as well. Um, Imam Ahmed, the, 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 it's re uh, volume one, hadith number 77, in the chapter of forgetfulness, the sub-chapter sub to, to say aham uh, in, the in the prayer. It's also mentioned in the, by, it's also narrated by Imam, uh, sorry, that's a, a bigger pardon, that's a, of course, yeah, anyone who knows hadith would have clocked on. There are no chapters like that in the Muslim of Imam Ahmed. That's in Nasa'i, the Sunan of Nasa'i. It's in the book of uh, forgetfulness, the chapter, the one who says aham, uh, when they're in the prayer. And then by Ibn Majah, it's been collected in the book of Adab and the chapter of seeking permission. Okay? 
قال ابن حجر رحمه الله ابن حجر said that البيحقي said هذا مختلف في إسناده وبتنه so he goes that يعني there's differences that occur in its sanad in its chain and its text i.e. there's some يعني problems around this hadith okay the hadith is not very strong يعني يعني it's not great basically so anyway and also Sheikh said that it's allowed يعني to do what all imams do which is you know start reciting loudly or saying Allahu Akbar and stuff, yeah. وَالْجَهْرِ بِالْقِرَاءَةِ جَائِزِ يعني to recite يعني out loud is something which is permissible in the prayer. It's not something which invalidates the prayer, alright? So, um, uh, you know, if someone comes in or trying to knock on the door, trying to find out where you are, then just start reciting loudly. Just those few words, okay, from wherever you are. And the person will recognize immediately that you're praying. And that's it. Um, uh, but... Sheikh says, um, this is interesting. Sheikh says, but still better than that is say tasbih. Now, I don't know why he said that because no one's made a mistake here. Yeah? So I don't know what the evidence for that is. I think the evidence for that is, is because that's the only thing that's ever been narrated about making a sound in the prayer. That's the reason why he said that. We'll say, yeah, but that thing that was only narrated was actually linked to a particular situation, i.e. someone making a mistake. Not just yani, you know, making a sound. So I think that the issue is, is flexible. Then Sheikh says another mas'ala. Let's put another scenario forward. Is it possible to correct someone other than the Imam? Yani to say something to another person next to you or in your in your in your row. Yani Yani someone makes a kind of uh, 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 someone makes a thingy. Hold on, let's just uh, I don't like this idea of you know answering the questions at the end. It's good that we do it whilst it's happening. Can't he just restart his prayer after he corrects the imam? I is saying. I'm saying that that just bringing too much attention to yourself. You should just carry on praying and then 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 start again. Um, but if but I just want you to know, if a person did restart the prayer, it would be valid. But it's just messy. It's just messy. Rehan is saying, why would you carry on praying when it was broken? Yeah, exactly. Where evidence would push that? Only because the situation there is. Number one, there's absolutely no clarity on the issue whether you've broken the prayer or not. Yeah, we've said it's a, it's a decision that Sheikh Uthameen himself has said. I personally don't even think he's broken the prayer. So because it's neither here nor there, then, you know. This is the same as, for example, when uh, some people are praying behind an imam who's a complete catastrophe at the Fatiha, right? And the way that he's reciting is making so many kind of what seem proper changes to the actual meaning that you're not sure, Yeah. Now, in this kind of scenario, you don't make a drama uh, because you believe that the prayer has been invalidated. That's a major issue, right? Unless you need to make a drama because, you know, you've been warning people and they're not listening and whatever. That's something else. But here, you'd now just finish the, you'd carry on, finish the prayer, and then go and pray by, your, by yourself. And then you'd raise the issue to get the imam, yani sorted, fixed, get him to improve his whatever. So it's similar to that, Rehan. Your, 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 point, is, uh, your point is right. Um, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. Okay? But I just want to make it clear, by the way, right? Because what Rayhan brings up is a very important point. It is not permissible for you to do if you break your wudu. Don't be saying, ah, well, then it's okay. If I break my wudu, I might as well continue carrying on with the prayer and then I'll pray afterwards. That's the reason why Rayhan is asking, well, hold on, what's the difference? The difference is, is that when you break your wudu, you've broken the prayer, it's completely haram to continue to pray. That's a lie and whatever. 
When I'm saying continue the prayer, it's because we're not even sure whether it's broken. There's no nos to say it's broken. There's no evidence any clear to say it's broken. I'm not even saying it's broken. And I'm not going to repeat my prayer myself if I do it. But I'm saying if you're in that scenario, you will cause a lot of confusion. Whereas in the, the breaking of the wudu, there is no confusion. Okay? You are going out, whatever. You're, you know, if you're embarrassed about it, then you hold your nose pretending you're bleeding or something's happened. You go, you make a wudu and you start again. And that's fine. Now, it could be actually argued that you could do the same thing, right? But in my opinion, in my opinion, the fact that the Salaf used to do things like hold their nose, yeah, to show that, you know, I've got a, I've got a nosebleed. It's not that I passed wind or something, but I'm actually kind of, you know, and it's not obviously the case. You then go and make wudu, suggests that there is something to be said for someone walking off in the middle of the prayer, yeah, and just bringing attention to oneself. So you should only do that if you've definitely broken the prayer. Not if it's 50-50 or this, that, whatever. And if you're not sure, then you pray by yourself. You don't make a big thing of it, making everybody else pray again and you know, uh, putting others to hassle. You got doubts, you deal with your own doubts. So th that's, my, that's my thought process, Rehan. It's a good question. Uh, I always said, if a person speaks, he should continue his prayer. No, I didn't say, I, I didn't say that Earth Amin said that. Earth Amin didn't even say anything. He said that your prayer is invalidated. He didn't even say about yani, re repeating the prayer. But obviously he has to allow the repeat of the prayer. And this is taking the mick out of the prayer. That is the danger of what I've said. Yeah. Just to clarify, you mentioned not to uh, make a difference uh, to people. Yeah. Are you talking about the Imam? No, I'm talking about so one of the people in the Jama'ah who after watching this whole circus of everyone go up and down, up and down, he just takes control, he says, Sheikh, you're meant to be in a second raka'ah standing in Fatiha. And then he hears a clear, confident, blatant voice, and then he just stands up. That's going to solve everything, isn't it? Now, as I said, according to Sheikh Uthameen, you making that statement, even though you were forced to, has invalidated your prayer. He's saying you did a good job though. No, so no sin, no haram. You took one for the team, but your prayer is invalidated, i.e. you've got to repeat it. But he then doesn't give any guidance of how it's repeated, when it's repeated. And therefore... I, from my own pocket, have said that if you did believe, and I told you my class position, my position is that it's not invalidated, right? But if you did say it's, it's invalidated, you've got to now deal with this in the best scenario possible. In some masajid, it won't be a problem, right? Like in a masjid like this, I would feel no problem. Yani just standing up and starting again, whatever. I've got control over this place. I'll stand up and explain to people what I did, make a point of it, you know what I'm saying? But if you're in an unrestricted place, people thinking what's going on, you know, or maybe a delicate situation, packed mosque, you know, they don't all like, like that kind of fancy behavior. You know, they just like, you know, just keep it cool and keep it steady, you know. <laughs> right. Uh, maybe you can correct them by gently touching them and indicating if they're close to you, but not by speaking yet, if it's possible, if that's possible. Um, yeah. All right. Okay. So Sheikh is saying, what about someone else then? Like someone who's next to you is just moving around, fluffing about, fluffing about, right? And just doing you nothing, right? What can you do about that guy? Mm. So <laughs> Sheikh says, Naam, it's allowed to make him aware and to nabihahu, yani, enduring the prayer. It's allowed to, yani, and I'm going to translate exactly what he says. He goes, because in this, it is the correcting of his prayer and your prayer. That's why it's allowed. So the whole point of making subhanAllah is to fix the imam of the jama'ah and the prayer. Yeah? In this scenario, 
you're doing a silent kind of job with my guy, okay, to fix his prayer and your prayer. Because he's ruining yours and he's definitely ruining his own. This is what Sheikh Uthameen says. And he goes, uh, even if it's just yani, the prayer of just one person, your brother next to you, then that's something which is allowed. He goes, what's the evidence for this? He goes, the evidence is the, uh, the reason that we have the famous hadith about talking in the prayer. So I told you this hadith last week, the hadith of Mu'awiyah ibn Hakim. I told you it's a very beautiful hadith. Look at yani, what Sheikh says. He says that uh, this statement, إِذَا نَابَكُمْ Yani, if, some, if something yani, is brought to your attention and you need to make people aware of it, then say, this statement, this came from the hadith of Muawiyah. Right? This came from the hadith of Muawiyah. How? Because Muawiyah, radiallahu anhu, he came to the Prophet to pray and he prayed. And a man sneezed. You know, I went through this last week. And a man sneezed and he said, Alhamdulillah. And Muawiyah said to him, Yarhamukallah. As soon as he said, Yarhamukallah, فَرَمَاهُ النَّاسِ بِأَبْصَارِهِمْ They all started looking at him like, right? So they gave him the daggers. فَرَمَاهُ بِأَبْصَارِهِمْ That's the actual, actual translation. They gave him full daggers. Yeah? يَعْنِ إِلَيْهِ مُنْكِرِينَ قَوْلَهِ فَقَالَ يَعْنِ Oh my God, may my mother be يعني, يعني lost. يعني, like I'm dead basically. I'm dead because he just, you know, he just collapsed yani, when he see all of the big companions giving him the daggers. He goes, that's it, game over. So he actually said, he goes, I'm dead. So when he says, I'm dead, which is, may my mother be lost, yani, so then they're like, what are you doing? And then they started to hit their thighs, like shut up, just shut up already, okay? So, uh, so he then became quiet. And then the Prophet ﷺ gave salam and he called him. And he said, In the hadith of salah, لا يسلوه فيها شيء من كلام الناس إنما هي تسبيح والتكبير وقراءة القرآن This prayer, it doesn't يعني, befit it for people to speak in it. And it's only, it's only meant to have tasbih and takbir and قراءة القرآن. And then, uh, then he turned to the companions and he said, If something happens in the prayer, Okay, and you need to make a, a, a point of it, then الرجال, النساء, and then the women would clap their hands. Okay, so basically, this hadith, basically, what he's trying to say is that they are thinking that they are trying to fix. There's someone else's prayer when they say tasbih, but in actual fact, they're fixing their own prayer. Right? That's actually what's happening in reality, isn't it? Yani when you make that point, you're trying to fix your own prayer, not just everybody else's. So therefore, if you're in that situation and someone is giving it, yani, then you can do something and say something, minimal yani, at all times, to fix his and to fix yours. Now, obviously, what do you find? You find mostly... Uh, 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 People are sensible, they know you can't speak in the prayer. So the majority of people, they put a hand upon a person, a firm one. Yeah, because they're kind of shaking and they're moving around. So you put a hand firm upon a person, pushing down, and they stop moving. So this is perfectly okay. All right, this is something which is too much, any disturbance, lesson. But you obviously got to be careful. You know, you don't want to cause any, you know, people these days, they all, you know, they all think, you know, they're all something. So they always want to, what are you doing? Who are you? Blah, blah, blah. You're a scholar, bruv. And all that kind of stuff, yeah? So, you know, what can you do? Right. 
let's move on to the next part then. And he, when he spits in the prayer, uh, then he spits to his left hand side. Okay? So, a yabsuk. Now, it's an interesting point. Sheikh Uthameen says that this word, yabsuk, has been narrated three ways. Yabsuk, wa yabsuk, wa yabzuk. And the reason for that with the sad, the seen, and the zai is because these are three very similar words. Okay, letters rather. Okay, these are three very similar letters. And you'll find actually in the different qira'at, uh, the different narrations and the models, uh, models of uh, narration and recitations of the Quran, that you will see these sometimes interchanged between the huruf. Okay, and this is obviously at the highest level of the qira'at and the, the sciences of the Quran. Because there's yani, some, as I said, some laxity between the, the meaning. That's also one of the reasons why, you know, when people say that this guy, you know, he's a Paki and, he, you know, he goes, uh, Yeah, we have some laxity. Yani, it's not, we don't treat it like a person completely saying the wrong words. There is something there. There is some, yani, some space for a little bit of kind of relaxation. Don't want to go too far in that, but just, yani. So, uh, what's the position? If you need to spit, you're allowed to spit on the left-hand side. Again, let me make it clear that this is outside the masjid. This is not for the masjid. It's not allowed to spit in the left-hand side of the masjid. All right? Just in case anyone gets any ideas. In actual fact, not only is it allowed, and this was what I was looking at earlier on, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, فِي بُيُوتٍ أَذِنَ اللَّهُ أَن تُرْفَعَ وَيُذْكَرَ فِي حَسْمُهُ يُسَبِّحُ لَهُ فِيهَا بِالْعُغُدُوِ وَالْآصَالِ and in these mosques which Allah has ordered to be raised, to be cleaned and to be honoured, in them his name is glorified in the mornings and in the evenings. Yani turfa, turfa, raised, right? What does that mean? The scholars said, the fuqaha said in tafsir of this verse that turfa means that everything about the sha'an al-masjid, turfa. Everything to do with the masjid is raised. So it's carpet, better than your carpet. It's building, better than your building. It's size, bigger than your size. Everything is raised. Yani you up the ante in the masjid in every single way. It should have the best uh, system, the best speaker, the best this, that, without, of course, extravagance. Because extravagance in the masjid, as the Nabi Sallallahu said, is from the days of the signs of the Day of Judgment. So, uh, which is a negative uh, connotation, not a, not, a, not a good one. So, uh, uh, this is, of course, referring to outside. And we also have a hadith of the Prophet Sallallahu in which he said that the he prohibited spe- uh, spitting in the mosque and he would go around checking to see if anyone had spat in the mosque. And the mosque at that time, don't forget, was a thingy floor, mud floor, yeah, like uh, whatever, mitti uh, kind of, you know, so earth kind of dry. Uh, so it didn't make stains or whatever, whatnot, unless it rained. And it didn't rain much, but when it did rain, then you all know, for example, probably the most famous hadith is the hadith of Laylat al-Qadr, yes? And I saw the, Abdullah bin Mas'ud said that I saw the Prophet ﷺ making sajda and I could see the muddy water uh, uh, streaming down his face. So when he came up from sajda, then, you know, uh, rain was taking the mud down his face. Yeah, like it would happen, obviously, if it's raining on mud. But most of the time it's dry and it's clean and whatever. Um, and remember that there was, um, I don't know about the history of carpets per se, but they never prayed on a carpet. There's not a single evidence that the Prophet ﷺ prayed on a carpet. He prayed on mats. And these mats are tough as the ground. You know, they're reed mats. Yeah, he used to sleep on it, he used to pray on it. So at best, he used to pray on it. And there might be some space for the fact that in the masjid, there's some reed mats. But uh, it needs to be made clear that, and I told you about this, I think, a couple of weeks ago. No, a couple of months ago, about, you know, the, the madkhalis and them, you know, 
uh, banging it into the bread of Muslim, getting beats yani, because they're saying, you know, this is the sunnah rock, yani, walking in and praying in their shoes. The shoes is sunnah when you're outside, or it's a sunnah in the masjid if there is no carpet, and it's yani, reed mats or something like that, that's fine. And even reed mats, yani, if the reed mats are there in place of a carpet, like they are in my village, for example, in my masjid, the reed mats are the carpet. Yeah? So, you know, so it's not allowed to either spit on that surface or to uh, take your shoes into that surface. Now, if you did uh, spit in a mosque in that area, in that way, with, the, uh, um, or with it in earth, the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ is that the one who does that, then the... Uh, Yani to spit in the masjid, the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ, to spit in the masjid is a khati'a wa kafarutaha dafniha. Okay? That it is a sin to, 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 to spit in the masjid and its expiation is to bury it. So you have to go it, go to it, find it, and then bury it. That's an expiation. Right? Now, the scholars differed whether khati'a, khati'a means mistake. Yeah? Whether this actually means it is a mistake or whether it is a sin. Because in the uh, Quran and Sunnah, khati'a has been narrated and in context, it sometimes means mistake and in other contexts, it does actually mean sin. All right. So the kafara kind of suggests that it's actually a mistake as opposed to a sin. Right. Because, you know, all you're doing is burying it. It's not exactly like, you know, you're getting punished for it, are you? But it was argued by some that no, you've sinned and you've got to fix that as well. Allahu A'lam. But these are of course from the minor sins. And the kafara for the minor sin itself would be the next prayer regardless. Anyway, point is, is if you're going to spit, you need to spit, then you, this is only for the outside. This is only for the outside. Why not in front of you? The reason you can't spit in front of you is because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is, as in the ayah, Surah Al-Baqarah 115, and for Allah is the east and the west and for um, whatever direction that you uh, face him then you will uh, and for whatever direction you face there you will find Allah and indeed Allah is vast and all-knowing so how is it yani adab that you spit and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is in front of you. And if you, he, the Sheikh said, then just think about this, yani, just, just, just yourself. If there was someone you'd never spit in front of a person, like there's a person that would you ever spit in front of them? And what then if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that, that, that he is there? And we have a hadith which is narrated by Imam Ahmed that the one time the Prophet saw a person leading a people in prayer, okay? And he was watching them. And this man, he spat in the direction of the Qibla whilst uh, leading the Salah. So the Prophet ﷺ, whilst he was looking and he, when he finished, he goes, he told the people, the companions, that this person will not lead you again. لا يصلي لكم. Alright, he is not to lead you again. And this man, that's what he said. Yep. And then the next time the Jama'ah was there and he went forward to lead, they, uh, they stopped him. They said, uh, no, you can't lead the prayer. They said, well, he goes, well, what's happened? He go and they said, ah, oh, because the Messenger of Allah told us that you are not to lead us again. So they came back and they went and he mentioned that. What happened, Ya Rasulullah? I don't know, I don't understand. 
And the Prophet ﷺ said, yes, you harmed Allah and His Messenger. Innaka You yani, harmed or abused Allah and His Messenger with this act. This hadith is narrated by Imam Ahmed and uh, it's also narrated by Imam Abu Dawood in a chapter of the prayer fi kirahatil bazzaq just to show you yani, that the fuqaha they use the various versions busaq is a hadith yani, which is authentic and yani, we know vasad and Abu Dawood narrates it as bazzaq to show the interchangeability of the word so the, 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 the hatred of or the undesirability of spitting in the masjid hadith number uh, 481 and according to Sheikh Albani this hadith is sahih okay according to Sheikh Albani this hadith is sahih have you any questions up until now Lala? okay so uh, so that's why you can't spit to the front okay completely prohibited and we're just talking outside by the way we're not talking about the masjid as for to the right hand side is it allowed to spit to the right hand side Answer is no, and the reason for that is because the Prophet ﷺ said that on your right is an angel. On your right is an angel. This hadith is narrated uh, in uh, Bukhari, in the chapter of the prayer, and the chapter, sorry, the book of the prayer, Kitab al-Salah, chapter, burying phlegm in the masjid, hadith number 416. Alright, so that's a specific hadith. The Prophet ﷺ specifically said, don't do that because there is an angel to your right side. To your right side, okay. Uh, now, so basically, you're not allowed to go to the front. You're not allowed to go to the right. So therefore, by default, it becomes the left. It doesn't say, "Yani, you spit to your left." Then it just says the default is the left. Sheikh says, with this discussion, we have two major problems or two major difficulties. The first difficulty that we have in this hadith is how is Allah in front of you? How is Allah in front of you when we know and we believe that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is above His throne? That's the first problem. He goes, there are a number of ways to approach this. Okay, there are a number of ways to approach this. Um, he goes, one of them is to, he goes, one of them is to know that all Muslims should remember that this is a religion of submission. And taslim is our asl, it's our status quo, it's our basic, it's our basic yani, position. And not to be bringing the concept of why and how when it comes to the description and the attributes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala ever. Rather, you say, I believe in it and it is true. Amantu wa saddaqtu. Amantu indi siwa dhalik. No, yeah. I believe that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is above his throne in the heavens and that he is also in front of the musalli. And I do not have anything with myself other than that because that is what has come from the Messenger of Allah. Shaykh Uthameen says that this is the route to get rid of many, many of our doubts and our problems with hadith. Okay? And so on and so forth. Okay? And you will also protect yourself from the waswas of shaitan who's always yani, playing with people in these kind of scenarios. Alright? And they're always playing with your mind. Now, I just want to mention, uh, actually let him continue. The rest of the points that he, uh, he says, he goes that, first of all, 
this is the combination of authentic. Second, he goes, there's, uh, 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 there's a combination of authentic evidences. And when authentic evidences come together to discuss, to discuss something, then there is never a, a contradiction possible when authentic evidences have come together. And authentically, they have. Now, we might not be able to understand yani, the, the, the combination, but they have combined. Yani, neither here nor their statement. Wallah the third yani, uh, uh, angle that he says, he goes, it's important to remember that you can't make an, anal an, an analogy with your deficiency with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah is not yani, compared to you are human and he is uh, super, yani, uh, uh, beyond the, the human description. So uh, uh, that's yani, uh, the fact that it's not possible for uh, you to be able to do it does not yani, mean that it's impossible for something for someone else. Uh, because nothing is unlike him and he is supreme in his nature. The fourth point that he makes is interesting. He goes, all right, if you want to go with the logic route, okay, then where's the contradiction between being high and being in front of you? Being high and being in front of you. For example, even, even he goes, we can even explain this from the creation. And of course, he's not even the creation, he's the creator. But when the sun, he goes, the sun is so high above and clear and everybody knows it. But when it shines down, you say the sun is in front of you. So he goes, you'd, you'd even say this for something which is pathetically created, like nothing, right? That would fit your own pathetic mind. Yani, you know, limited, logic-based, rationale-based, weak kind of mind. So if we can say that even the sun created like you has the ability to be in two places two places yeah at the same time in that it's there and it's yani, shining down so then how can this be uh, if this is something which is possible for something makhluk then how can you say it's not possible for the khaliq yeah and what do you know in the first place sheikh then says something which honestly is the most important statement i think of today for us to understand not for just this uh text and this this question but actually what's happening right now with everything in our lives right you can see that there's a concerted effort right now a concerted effort to uh, reduce the confidence of believers to create any identity crisis faith crisis to be able to allow the doubts to disperse and sometimes people do it in a classy kind of way where they're not making it obvious that they're Islamophobic and they're just yani, putting the question out. And others yani, straight out. And people who are exposing themselves to the da'wah scene or reading a lot of material yani, online, they're coming across this. And that's why da'wah should not be done unless you are educated and know what's going on. So this is a fitna, right? And the truth is, is that a lot of people that you think of and you like, right, and that are popular to you, they are also not saved from this. And I mean from them, your scholars and your teachers and your, you know, whether they're the solid ones that yani, you think are not celebrity scholars or the ones that are celebrity scholars or, you know, the X, Y, Z. I was, uh, just to give you an example, um, Yasser Qadi, he was with uh, a, a guy called Hamza Ali Abbasi, who is a uh, singer or something like that. Is he an actor or is he a singer? Actor? Actor, he's a Pakistani actor, you know, big time Pakistani kind of, uh, you know, one of these uh, people. And um, uh, recently kind of, you know, you know, you know what it is with PACs, right? PACs, whether they're celebrities or not, they have a base level of practicingness. Yeah, they all kind of say, Alhamdulillah, MashaAllah, they pray the Jum'ah, you know, you know what I mean. Men, women, whatever, but they don't practice much the deen outside other than that. At the moment, he's going through this kind of like self kind of um, discovery, 
yeah, and has been for the last, you know, little while. And the problem is, is that when people like this, especially in the kind of limelight, go through self-discovery, then they're often kind of looking around for who's going to be able to support them best in their chosen field, etc. He has uh, taken, um, and this is why Yasser made a mistake yesterday, okay, in publicizing this situation. I don't know whether he's aware about this, um, but this chap at the moment is actually in Houston or Dallas right now, which is where Yasser met him, because he's fundraising for the Ghamadi Institute. Now, the Ghamadi Institute is founded by a guy called Javed Ghamadi. Now, Javed Ghamadi for Pax is well known. He's a Pakistani, I don't know if he's actually a scholar or not, but certainly he's a, an academic, and he's a rationalist. He's a rationalist in that for him, uh, basically his aqidah is that of the Mu'tazila. For him, it has to make sense to be accepted. If it doesn't make sense, then it can't be from the religion, right? So they will accept the concept of the Quran and Sunnah in principle, but his overriding principle that if it doesn't make sense to me, then the hadith has either uh, wrong or to be rejected or whatever, whatnot. Because he's not a scholar, he doesn't have the ability, for example, to do two key things when you are in, when you are in this situation. Number one, to have the hadith ability and knowledge to be able to study it and see whether it's authentic or not, the easy way out most of the time, because scholars are meant to do that. They're meant to, you know, uh, uh, weigh what's being said and read and if they feel that mm, don't sound right you know then you look into the hadith and if it's weak then you can say alhamdulillah I thought that there was a problem the hadith was weak not I'm saying you're weak but the hadith actually is weak there's problems in the chain to get to a level where you look at the text and say don't like that why don't you like that because it just doesn't sit well with me well unless you're someone like Bukhari Right? You are at the very, very top of your game. This, this is what we call naqtul matan. Textual criticism of hadith is something which is reserved for only the very, very, very few in history. Let alone yani, in an era like today where, in my opinion, textual criticism should be banned. Right? Textual criticism has been a, a, a tool of the top, top scholars for the longest time. Okay? Uh, a classic example of textual criticism, I explained this in a number of classes, a, a classic example that someone like, for example, um, yani even, even any scholar might do, is the famous hadith of riba, right? That the Prophet ﷺ apparently said that to, to consume one dirham of riba is equal to 36 acts of zina with your mother in the open, right? Now, when you see this hadith, this hadith is narrated by Abu Dawood and a few kind of solid uh, uh, sunnah collections, right? If I'm not mistaken, all right? About 10, 15 years ago, I did an exhaustive uh, uh, research. I wrote a paper actually on this hadith and on this subject. The reason I wrote that paper, the reason is because when I heard this hadith first time, it shocked me. Not shocked me because that's how serious riba is, is that I don't think the Prophet ﷺ would say something like that. Now, I'm a student. Not even a scholar, let alone a student, has the ability to say, I don't think the Prophet, what do you know about the Prophet? ﷺ? Yeah? That's, a, that's a knowledge which is restricted to the 0.001%, and I said, not in our time, but in history. You've got to be at the highest level. But what I am allowed to do is to say, right, I need to look into this now more. Maybe there's a problem with this hadith. 
but not yani, from a meaning point of view, but actually from a Senate point of view. And lo and behold, I went into it and looked into it, and yeah, there was a fair share of scholars, like the most famous of them is in our modern time, Sheikh al-Albani. He said this hadith is absolutely authentic, not a shadow of a doubt about it. And he said that from a uh, Senate point of view. He goes, it is, and yes, for the meaning, yeah, it's tough, it's rough, but that's how serious riba is. Stay away from riba, which is fair enough. And that's a well-held scholarly position. And I wasn't satisfied with that. And there's always been an accusation against Sheikh, Uthameen, uh, Sheikh Al-Albani as a muhaddith that the one thing that he didn't have as strong as his hadith was his fiqh. Yani to try to think outside of the, the hadith paradigm. He was very much a technical kind of man who focused whatever, which is not right to say in an absolute sense, but certainly he, he's not a faqih. His area is obviously hadith. And so it was not a surprise that there was a lot of uh, literature out there. Anyway, I went back to one of the oldest and classical books, which is written by a, a scholar called Ibn al-Jawzi. And we're not talking about Ibn Qayyim, we're talking about before him. And he wrote, uh, he's a humbly scholar, and he wrote a book which is called um, Al-Mawdu'at, The Fabricated Narrations. And in that, this hadith was pride of place. And he wrote a detailed, back then, thousand years ago, a detailed assessment of every single chain, every single version of this hadith, and he showed they were not just weak, but devastatingly weak, to the extent that even with all of the variations combined, this hadith cannot escape from being mawdu, let alone ba'if jiddan. So now, I'm a different animal now, isn't it? I can go around and give it all the vegan as much as I want, right? And someone says, you know, who are you? I'll say this hadith is weak from the chain. Still, even though I might have, I might have you know, said, but in actual fact, I thought it was weak just because I heard it. Yeah? That would just be a statement just getting myself into trouble. Because they could turn around and say, who are you? And they'd be, they'd be right. So you don't put that forward. You put the argument forward that, no, this hadith is weak, even though its meaning is a bit weird, but actually it's fundamentally weak from chain. So the reason I mentioned that is that this naqdul matan concept is a difficult one, and you've got to be careful. And you've got to have huge knowledge, huge connection to the sciences. And Javed Ghamadi and the other rationalists of our time, they are the revival of the rationalists of the, the, uh, the old days, the modernists. And uh, Javed Ghamadi, of course, is well known for saying a lot of things and he has a big resonation with the youth and the, and the modern kind of folks because he speaks a lot of sense. You don't need to wear hijab, you wear dupatta, you don't need to, there's no hijab in the Quran, there's like riba is this and that is not like what it used to be. You can, you know, all the kind of things that you could think of a dream life basically, yeah, just to chill. He's just there handing them out, right? And he interprets the Quran like that as well and he's very eloquent, etc, etc. Now there are many people out there like that. And this Hamza Abbasi has been full-on converted to this way of thinking. Now, fr frankly, it could be worse. Yeah, it could be worse. You could have gone to another sect. It could be more deviant. But this is a really problematic place to be. It really is. And um, this is an obvious person to see, uh, Javed Ghamadi and these people. But the, our, our concern, of course, is day by day, day by day. This is why I said I don't believe it should be allowed to have the naqd of matan today. Any scholar, however yani, experienced he is, I just think it's very dangerous for them to be given the license to even believe that they have the right to criticize the text because everybody's under so much pressure in their identity. Everybody's feeling so much pressure, financial pressure, boycotting, legal yani, things, you know, uh, immigration issues. People really see now the impact of a government yani, press pressing on you or whatever. And so people now are, you know, there's one thing being scared to say the truth, 
but another thing where you might say to yourself, maybe they've got a point. Maybe there's a point. And that's what people are starting to say. Maybe, you know what? We did go too much into that. Maybe we did go too much into this. And, and so on and so forth. This, there's a lot of reflection which is happening, which is good because reflection is always very, very good. I was with a brother the other day. We had a long discussion about Rabah, okay? About what happened when Sisi and his uh, people, they killed all those protesters. And this brother, uh, he is a member of Ikhwan al-Muslimin, like senior, and comes from like the, the hierarchy. Now you know, for example, that Sheikh Ihlan, I mean, he absolutely detests Ikhwan. Like, spends day and night cussing them silly, calling them, you know, the secret, you know, his... And there's generally, uh, you know, a big push against, uh, you know, making him out to be the enemy. And that's at the heart, by the way, of the Saudi uh, Emirates uh, axis that against Qatar and uh, Turkey, right? And uh, whatever. So the Saudi Egyptian government and the Emiratis versus the Ikhwan in Egypt versus Turkey versus whatever. Because these are all manifestations of the Ikhwan movement, right? The, that kind of Ikhwan al-Muslimin, Jamaat al-Muslamiyah, this in Pakistan. So these political kind of movements, right? They're under obviously a lot of pressure. And the problem is, is because they do make a lot of mistakes. Now, there's no doubt about it. Who the oppressor, the aggressor and the oppressed were in Rabah. But what you don't know, actually, is that there was a lot to be said for the leaders of Ikhwan and their decision-making in those moments that led to those people getting killed. There's a lot to be said. Now, here's a problem. If you have a high-ranking leader of Ikhwan say that, yeah, is that because his family are being tortured by a thingy or he's afraid because of the Sisa all over him? Or yani, the, 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 the fact that he can't travel freely back and forth. Yeah. And is he now kind of thinking that, you know, I'm just not going to get myself in trouble. Or worse, because if, if he says, I'm not going to get myself in trouble, at least he still believes the truth, right? But he says, I'm not going to say. Or worse, which is, you know what? Why are these people giving Ikhwan such a hard time? Let me look into it. Then you start reading things. You start hearing things. And then once you start reading and hearing things now in a new different state of mind, you interpret it with a different state of mind as well. Your lens is different. So that then changes your direction. And if there was some kind of illegitimacy or some kind of problem in the, or some politics that are being played in how it was presented to you, your now fatwa, ruling, naqd, everything, is a tainted one. And the sources cannot afford to be tainted by people's experiential or existential any decisions, right? So that's a major issue. That's a major, major, major issue that we've got to be aware of. And that's why this threat is now, with everyone putting all these things forward, how you respond, where you kind of think, mm-hmm, or you do what Sheikh Uthameen is about to say now, which has been my, which is what Fitna, the class I teach uh, yani on Sut Ali Imran is all about, yeah? And which is what I've been telling people that you've got to focus on yani, in these difficult times. Yeah, where holding on to the deen is going to be more difficult than holding on to burning coals, as the Prophet ﷺ said. And that is to accept everything in the wisdom of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and state that you are as ignorant as, as, a, as, a, as, a, as, a, as whatever. Okay, you don't know and accept it. That's why he says, Shaykh says, and I translate literally, From all of these responses to the problem of where is Allah in this scenario, is he here or is he there? From the most 
important of the responses and the most greatest of them and the most honorable of them is the first one that we stop where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala describes himself and we do not yani, enter into his attributes any way more than what he explains to that because he any more than he explains because we do not understand him and we believe that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is above everything and we also believe that Allah is in front of the musalli we do not say how and why wahada this will make a muslim so relaxed he will feel so relaxed yani wahada yarih al muslim min kulli ma yuriduhu shaytan wa junuduhu ala al qalb min al ishkalat min al ishkalat okay this will make you so relaxed from all of the fitna and all of the doubts that you are uh, uh, you know so someone will say to you that how is it possible this means that allah is with one with the creation yeah you say that i don't believe in allah like you believe I believe in Allah in what he said. He did not say that he's one of the creation. He said that he's in front of this person and he is above the throne. And I will say he's in front of this person and he is above the throne. Well, like, you know, practice saying that. It's amazing. I'm telling you this, that all of the last 20 years at the forefront of da'wah, at the forefront of every doubt that you guys can imagine, being in every seminar versus every academic, yani debating with every sect, I can tell you that this has saved me and it will save you. And I'm telling you, there's such a maza in this, right? And when we say, for example, we'll close it there. When we say, when we, when we say that, um, you know, to people that uh, uh, when you're in a difficult position, just make sajda. That's just not a spiritual statement. That's just not, yani, just there because, you know, you like sajda. Because everyone does. It's a nice position to be. It's relaxed, yani, you can chill. But there's a fundamental thing that happens in sajda. You remember who you actually are. You just, yani, just a wake-up call. So whenever you got some doubt, this, that, whatever, bang into sajda, and you just remember, who the fish are you to speak anyway? You're just a little slave. Put your head on that floor where it belongs and keep that mouth shut. A little while left, that's it. Just got to keep yani, uh, struggling through and then it'll be game over. So that's yani, enough for that. Um, yep, yep. Rehan is talking about, uh, right, let's take questions on the subject. But Rehan's asking about, uh, you know, some of the problems with the book of Aqeedah. I don't see a major problem with them. Yani, now, I mean, I always had a problem with some of their types of books. But I think if you just stick to uh, the, the, uh, a good sharh of Aqeedah Tahawiyah, you'll never go wrong. The Aqeedah of Tahawiyah, Rehan, is the best in my opinion. Also, Ibn Taymiyyah's Al-Wasatiyah and any shuruh for that. Excellent. Right, what else? Do we have any more questions there? Done, done. Guys here on the ground. Yeah, everybody, yeah, I burnt everybody's brain cells. I know that got a bit heavy, but it had to be done at least once. Five folks, Zakmullah Khair. Oh, wait, 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 what's happening? Ireland, yeah, Ireland is uh, PTH this weekend, but don't, I think anybody's going there. It's, I think it's sold out anyway, so there's no space. Next week is Ilmfest, okay? So the Sunday one makes more sense for you guys here in Birmingham. Um, uh, that's Birmingham, and then those who are in London, obviously that's on the Saturday. What else? We have, uh, there's two Umrah. Uh, for anyone who wants to go Umrah, uh, then the the proper the deep one, the one that really that yani you know people who got time and want to study hard, then that's April 9th to 19th. There's still places on that one. There's plenty of spaces on the other one, which is for more yani you know, the kind of shazad kind of Umrah. You know uh, what, what they call what they call. I was in Wales. I was in. We live in Wales for. You love your luxury, baby, Conrad. Yes, bro. Conrad, lala. 
yeah, Conrad and Hilton, whatever, whatnot. My one's, my one's the only bit more, you know, basic one. But this one is March the 14th to the 22nd. So it's less time. Huh? No, no, it's, uh, it's, uh, I don't even know how much it is, to be honest. I've got no idea. But, but um, it's a, that's a more luxury one, a more easygoing one. All right? That's March thingy. You'll find that on Darussalam website. The other one is on hajwithae.com slash umrah. Um, there's something else I was going to say about uh, that uh, umrah. Um, something I can't remember. And hajj, the hajj places. The UK side is pretty much yeah, done. There's, there are some places, uh, but I don't know yeah, any whether that's going to be the case in a few days. But the Canadian and American visa situation is good. So they've still got like about 10 places in the Canadian and uh, 10, I think, in the American if you want to get in there. I will start my Hajj program, inshallah, this week. No, no, sorry, next week. Next week, inshallah. All right. Zakmullah Hirs, Subhanakallahumma bihamdika, Shadwallah, ilaha illa anta, wa astaghfirukallahumma wa atubu alayk. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.